Well, guys, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. It's good to see you. Thanks for uh, dragging yourself out of bed bright and early. It's a, it's a good thing to do on a Saturday. Uh, today your is is fire hose in the mouth day. I mean, it's just this is going to be a lot today, and uh, there there will be points where you may just not want to try to take notes as much, but just listen and go. I need to spend some time outside of today going over what we talked about, but that's okay. Be, uh, before we really get going too much further, what we're going to break up into our discussion groups here in just a moment. Um, we usually do that at the front part of our meetings. Um, the places that we can go for our discussion groups, we'll have, one, we'll have four groups. One will stay here. One will go around the corner down at the back end of this hall. Uh, the other one will go out that door and um, be in the small little classroom that's right on the edge there. And then um, Kyle and my group will we'll go into the office because I think we will have a that, that's closer than anything else further down the hall towards the ladies. So, uh, but what I want to do is I want to introduce you to who your discussion group leaders are. You, you hopefully grabbed one of the printouts on the table right outside the door. Um, it tells you who's uh, what group you're in. Um, but I want to just so you can see these guys and see who they are. Um, it's Derek Robinson, right there is Derek Robinson up front. He uh, he's hard to see sometimes because he's so diminutive. Um, Derek is a uh, Bible teacher over at Valley Christian High School and has been doing that. He's also a football coach there um, and he is a deacon in this church in Next Generation Ministries and uh, we appreciate him very much and Scott Demarest is in his group with him. Uh, Scott's over here, one of the elders. David Britton, where are you? David Britton's right here. David Britton is also a football coach. We won't say what happened between these two coaches last night. We'll let you. <laughs> he said that you scored too many points. They scored too many points. They won. I know. He scored more points, but you said, he said you scored too many. David is a, uh, you're at Tempe Prep. And are you AD? Is that what you are there? AD there and also uh, coaching football as well. Helping out your brother there. Yeah. Right on. It's very good. Um, we appreciate David's ministry here and helping out. Tom Angstead will be in his group. Tom won't be here today, but Jacob Hantla is, and Jacob's in the back. He's one of the other elders. Uh, Jeff Hantla, right here. Uh, complete relation uh, to Jacob, father-son. Uh, Jeff has led discussion groups for us before in the past. Jeff uh, does a great job with that. And Eric Martin will be the elder that's in his group, but Eric is out of town today, and so um, good luck in Jeff's group. Yeah. I'm, I'm coaching three-year-old soccer. You're coaching three-year-old soccer. Okay. I'm so glad you brought that out. Is that his three-year-old, your grandson? No, it's Oh, his the nep- Yeah, your other grandson. Yeah, we'll grandkids. Forever in a small group. Yeah. Well, there you have it. And then uh, the leader in my group is Kyle Frazee. Kyle's right over here. Kyle, what do you do for a living? Uh, finance. Finance stuff. Money stuff. Yeah, so you can talk to him if you need some money. Um, Kyle has uh, been around for a gosh, you guys have been around for how many years now? Three and a half. Yeah. Appreciate you leading a group this year. Um, and uh, so what we're going to do, our group, Kyle's and my group, if you see your name down underneath our, um, our names, we're going to meet over in the office uh, together. Uh, one of the other three groups can stay here 
Scott, which where do you want to go? Go to the next door. So Scott and D Rob, you guys are just going to go down the hall this way. So out this door, take a hard left, and then that means uh, Jeff, <laughs> we're going to go in the little room just right outside that door over there. Okay, or right outside that door, but right over there. Okay, and who? Well, that doesn't mean that you are David. You're staying here. Okay. Okay. How about that for today? All right. So uh, the other thing that we do every time we get together is um, Scott Demrest will walk you through all of the disciplines that are on the back of your notebook. So, Scott, why don't you come on up and do that with us? Scott, why don't you open our time in prayer as well? That would be a good thing to do. That sounds like a good idea. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together in a group. Thank you for the blessing that you have in store for men when they come in contact with men, other men who love you and know you. Lord, I pray for our time this morning. I pray that it would be a time where each one of us grows because of the the work and the function of those around us. Lord, I pray for our ears that we would listen well. I pray for our lips that we would share well. I pray for our minds that we would understand well. Lord, all of that is by your grace. So we depend upon your grace. We ask for your grace this morning. Lord, we remember your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. He is the only reason why we are here. He died for us so that we could be redeemed away from our sin that was so offensive to you. Lord, we remember him this morning because you gave him to us, and he is our Savior. pray that all that we would do would be done in a way that is pleasing to you, and we pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. Um, Right off the top, I don't coach football, and I don't coach (laughs) soccer, whether they're three years old or 18 years old. Um, But praise God for those who do. That's really good. Um, I'm Scott Demarest. I'm one of the elders here. Um, Just a little bit about me. I'm married. Uh, My wife, Sarah, also works in the Wellspring Ministry, which is a sister ministry for uh, this ministry. And we have three kids together. Kate is 22, Lauren is 21, and Mark is 20. And so uh, we've been here for 11, almost 12 years, and I've been an elder for nine of those years, I guess. So anyway, um, I'm glad to be here. This is my seventh or eighth year in build. I kind of lose track, but it's great to be together. And it is great to see a room full of guys sitting here uh, with Bibles in front of them and with pencils and paper and all that good stuff. So thanks for being here. Thanks for getting up early. Our prayer truly is that everybody grows here because of the time they spend together. So uh, if you have a Bible or if you have one of these, a device, you either turn it or tap on it to Philippians chapter 1. And also turn your build notebook over and look at the back. We're going to do something at the start of our build time that we're going to do every week. And we're going to walk through the disciplines of build. And if you were here last week um, and you have a new notebook, I think there's only five disciplines on the back. If you have an old notebook from a previous build here, there are six disciplines on the back. Um, there's been no addition. There's been no subtraction to Scripture. What has happened instead is, is we've decided that the sixth discipline is really the, the context in which you live out and you practice out the first five disciplines. So we're just going to be reviewing the five disciplines the sixth discipline, if we remember, was what we did last time. We looked at the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. Uh, but before we go too much further, we want to just stop and ask ourselves why it is that we go through these disciplines. And 
for a foundation for that, I want to give you two things. I want to give you the, the event, the point of salvation. The second thing is the process of sanctification. So let's turn in our Bibles. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he wants them to understand something that's very important. And he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We see two things taking place there. We see the beginning of a good work in a person, and we see that work being perfected in that person. We see the salvation event, uh, the work that's being begun, we see that that is totally of God. The rest of the New Testament, even the Old Testament, tells us that salvation is from God, it is of God, it is designed by God, it's planned by God, it's, it's foreknown by God, it's executed by God, it's caused by God. Everything about a person's salvation has to do with God and his work in us. It has nothing to do with us running towards God because none of us are actually running towards God. We're all running from God when God saves us. So Paul is spot on here when he says, he who began a good work in you, God is the one who begins the good work. The focus of what I want to mention this morning, though, is the, the process, the ongoing process of salvation and sanctification. Salvation is an event that takes place, that's of God, and the sanctification is what follows that. And the rest of the verse tells us that he who began that work, he will perfect it until the day of Christ. So we see that God being involved in salvation, we see God essentially, he's involved in sanctification too, and his role there is essential. But in the balance of the letter, we see that there is actually a collaboration that takes place, a, a working together that takes place for sanctification. And that collaboration is between the God who enables it by his grace and the person in whom that sanctification is taking place. So turn your page to chapter 2, swipe on your device to chapter 2, Let's take a look at verse 12, where we see something taking place here. And we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Paul has just spent several verses talking about Christ and the example that Christ is in humility for us. Um, you see that uh, at the beginning of chapter 2. When he gets to verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Here's the key. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. There's an instruction there in verse 12, and that is that the believer is to work out their salvation. They have a part in their sanctification that takes place after the salvation event. The salvation event saves them, and they are responsible to collaborate together with God as he works out his plan for them according to his will. And the New Testament is full of instructions and full of guidance on how to do that. The elders of this church put together the build disciplines to help us get our minds around that, how we actually do work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's just walk through them briefly. We have an issue of having to care for our heart, first and foremost. The first discipline is our heart. The way a person works out their salvation with fear and trembling is they care for their own heart. You'll hear the phrase here a lot. If you've been here for a few years, you're, you're very familiar with the phrase shepherding your own heart. If you're more new here, what that is, is that's informing your mind. It's informing all of who you are, with the truth of what God has revealed about who he is and who you are, and the difference in our nature and character and the chasm that exists between us, who Christ is and how God uses him. Informing all of who you are. We'll learn as we go through build this year that the heart is, is not just where you have your affections. It's, it's all of you who you are as a person before God. It's how you think. 
It's what your affections are. It's what your desires are. It's what your will is. It's all of who you are. So the first thing we want all of us to do here is, is to shepherd our heart, to care well, to nurture our heart, to counsel our heart well. The way we do that is by spending time alone with God, looking at his revelation to us in word, and by speaking back to him in, in prayer. So we're going to be emphasizing prayer and time in the word. That's the first way in which we feel like the scripture tells us that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, is, is to inform ourselves from God's word and, and to speak to God often. <coughs> speaking to him with thanksgiving for what he's done for us, speaking to him with confession in the way in which we've run from him, speaking to him with requests that we have, speaking to him with worship. And so we need to do that. First and foremost, we care for our own heart. If you're here and you're in fellowship with anybody in your living situation, whether you live with somebody in their house, whether you're a roommate, whether you're a father, whether you're a son, whether you're a sibling, um, you live in a home. And that is the second place in which we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is the people that God has put us in contact with we take the fruit of what we've done as we're developing and caring for our heart and we take that into the context in which we live. And so we want in this church people first and foremost to care for their own heart and then to take the fruit of that into their parenting and into their marriage and into their roommate relationships and into all of the rest of those relationships. It's an essential way that a believer works out their salvation with fear and trembling. When a person is caring for their own heart well and the fruit of that is is making itself evident in their home life, whatever their home life looks like, whether it's their marriage or their their parent-child relationships or whatever else, they are ready. That is the kind of person who's becoming ready for ministry to church. You hear a phrase here throughout the year, and that is that we don't want to play leapfrog over our own heart. We don't want to play leapfrog over our own family, our own home. That means that we don't run into ministry first and foremost. Ministry doesn't lead the way. Ministry follows a man who's caring well for his own heart, it follows a man who, after caring for his own heart, he's caring well for his own home, whatever his home situation looks like. And here we have plenty of places for us to lead that out. We have Next Generation Ministries, which always has needs, which always has openings for people who are eager to share the gospel with young ones. We have this ministry. We have Identical Ministry in Wellspring. We have lots of other ministries here in this church. Opportunities for us to live out um, the gospel opportunities for us to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. A man who is doing that, he's caring for his own heart, he's caring for his own home, um, he's caring for the church, he's sharing, he's serving in the church. Um, he's a man who is walking towards deacon qualification. Our heart is that everybody in this church is aiming at becoming a man who's qualified to be a deacon and deacon service in this church. And they're outlined for us, those qualifications are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see them in verses 8 through 13. It's a man who's a man of dignity. He's a man who's not double-tongued. He's not given to much wine. He's not fond of sordid gain. Um, a man becomes that kind of man when he cares for his own heart and he cares for his home and he's serving in the church. All of those things are the natural byproduct of the guy who first and foremost is caring for his heart. So we're going to keep that in front of us this year. Fifth thing that we're going to be doing and keeping in front of us is a person who works out their salvation with fear and trembling is a person who truly does seek to sharpen themselves continuously and grow their understanding of who God is, grow their understanding of who they are in the Word. That's done by intentional, decisive study of God's Word. And we have tracks for that, and this is the first step in that track, that process here with this church. We have Bill, we also have H3, we 
We also have Shepherdology and we have GBI. And these are all courses. These are all tracks of study that we have designed so that guys can sharpen themselves and they can grow in their ability to handle the word. And um, we feel like these are the things that men need to keep in front of themselves so that they can work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So this morning I just wanted to go through those and explain the reason why we're going to be talking about these disciplines every time we meet together for the next nine months. And that is because it's an, it plays an essential role in actually how we work out our salvation before the Lord. So um, let's keep that in front of us. Uh, that's why we want to do that. Every time when I go through this, uh, we'll, we'll talk through each of the five, but there will be an emphasis on one of the five. And the majority of the emphasis most times will be about the heart because everything flows from the heart. But we will spend some time talking about the home, how to care well for the home. We will spend time talking about ministry, how to serve well in this church. We will spend time about focusing on what the deacon qualifications are. One of our build lessons later this spring is going to be about that. We think enough of it that we, we dedicate a Saturday to it so that we can really get a good look at it. And we'll spend time talking about the hermeneutic discipline five as well. So. That's the reason why we are going to be going through these, because these actually do play a significant role in how we actually live out our faith. So let's keep that in front of us. We are going to pick right up here. What you need to have, remember, every time you walk in, you need to pick up um, a paperclip set of papers that will be out on the table. Uh, there will always be a, a colored sheet on the back of it. Uh, that the, the colored sheet will always be your homework. The... The white sheet will be the uh, note, what you'll take notes on uh, when we teach each time. So make sure you have one of those today. You will also need your that blue card, that blue chart that's uh, out there. It looks like this. You'll want to have one of these. If you have last year's, uh, it's very similar with just some minor changes and edits in it. But you want to use this year's if you can. I think it's a little darker blue than... Last year. So get that out, have that be ready in front of you because I'm going to be referring to that a lot. And this is, uh, we're going to run through what's on here. And there's more, it would take, we could spend a whole year on this. Um, but we're going to introduce it to you and then we're going to be referring everything that we'll be talking about throughout the year will we'll come back to this. So we refer back to this chart. Um, so let's make sure you got your things ready to go. You got your. Uh, worksheet in front of you. You got your Bible. We're going to be all over the place. All right. Uh, before we jump into God's Word, why don't you open up to Romans eight? Because we're going to start there. And as we uh, get ready for Romans eight, yes, we could be in Romans eight all year long. Romans eight, about the first thirteen verses. We'll uh, let's pray. Every time that we come to God's Word, and I hope that you'll get into a habit if you don't already, every time you come to God's Word, it's good to pause and it's good to pray. Um, this is the best that we can have of God right now, of what He has revealed of Himself. And um, we don't want to just assume that, oh, I can I'll read this, my heart's in a good place, I got it, I'm good to go. But, but it's always good to just have a... Uh, a reorientation of your mind and your attitude and to, with humility come before God's word and make sure that you're sitting under God's word and not above God's word judging it but letting it be above you and discerning you 
so one of the ways that you can adjust your heart is by praying. So let's do that before we jump into God's word. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would help us, Lord. We want to submit our lives under your leadership, and we want to submit our lives under your word. Lord, thanks so much for the time together in our discussion groups where we can get to know each other a little better. Lord, would you please just really bless um, our times together like that. Uh, draw our lives closer to one another. May we um, befriend one another well, care for one another well. Um, and Lord, today, specifically now, as we open your Bible and give thought to how you save a sinner and what happens when you save a sinner, Lord, would you open our eyes and help us to understand. I pray, Lord, that every man here would see more clearly where he is at with you as a result of spending time in your word today. And so, God, we turn to you now. We humble ourselves in your presence, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to try to accomplish today is, is primarily set the stage for why do you even need to shepherd your heart? Okay, you've heard us say that. Why do I need to control myself? Why do I need to uh, shepherd myself? Why do I need to um, disciple my heart to? Why do I need to counsel my heart with God's word? Why do I even need to do that? And I hope that you'll see today that God has put you in a condition in which it demands that you do that. That it demands that you do that. So let me give you a, an introduction to the chart real quick. If you'll open it up and just look at the, the sleeve that has uh, on the inside, uh, there's a little statement there that we added this year. This chart summarizes the three states of a person's transformation. Okay, so if you'll turn and look on the inside, there's three states of man in there. There's the unregenerate man, there's the regenerate man, and there's what we're calling the heavenly man. And so this chart will walk you through those three stat states um, that come about through two radical events, um, being born again, or new birth, and resurrection. So the only way you get from the first state to the second state is through a new birth. That's the first event. The only way you get to this regenerate state to the heavenly man is through another event, and it's primarily, ultimately, resurrection, but death, okay? What you want so badly, and that is to be this man over here who has no sin, who never fails, who never falters, who only ever, all the time, loves God. There is only one way you're getting there, guys. You're going to have to die. Or Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rapture us and we get a, that new body instantly. But a major event has to happen that only God can do for you to get there. We're going to walk through those today, uh, Lord willing. So uh, we're going to turn the fire hose on. We're going to go. I'm not going to wait for you. Uh, you're just going to have to come along. And then you can listen again. And then you can read the Bible some more. And we're just going to keep going, okay? So it's going to be a good time. We're going to run until... Have you ever, like, jumped off of a moving vehicle and tried to run, thought you could keep up, and only found yourself rolling in the dirt? <laughs> No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, today you will. <laughs> All right. Well, let me show you one more quick thing inside the chart, just so you can kind of get orient, uh, a little, a little bit of orientation here. Uh, at the top, there's like a little triangle that kind of describes each one. The, the one on the left here is the without Christ condition. That means you are the unregenerate man there without Christ. Its general description is called unrighteous, that condition is. 
Underneath it in parentheses, you'll see it says unmixed sinful condition. We'll talk more about what that means, but there's, that's an unmixed sinful condition. In the middle, this person, oh, and that's described with a, a picture at the top that's primarily all one color to show that it's unmixed. In the middle, this condition is called in Christ. Okay, You're without Christ, and then you are in Christ. That's called the regenerate man. That, that condition is called being made righteous. Okay, that's different from being declared righteous, which is down at the bottom. I'll talk about that in a minute. But you are being made righteous in this new condition. Um, in parentheses underneath that, it says mixed condition. Uh, this is where you're really going to grow, I hope, in understanding that you went from an unmixed in sin condition to a mixed condition. And then when you look at the heavenly man, that is a condition with Christ. So you went with without Christ to in Christ, and then your in Christ position will take you with Christ, where you'll actually be with him. You'll see him as he is. Um, that condition is, you are just made righteous. You are done. There's no more perfection to go on there. It's done. And that over there on that side is an unmixed condition. So what you're going to notice is before God saved you, you were in an unmixed condition. And ultimately in heaven, you will be in an unmixed condition. And those two unmixed conditions could not be different, more different than one another than that. One is unmixed in sin, and the other is unmixed in holiness, unmixed in purity, unmixed in righteousness. Um, and what you are today is neither one of those things if you are in Christ. Okay? And that's what we're going to talk about today. There are two events. The events are... are, are highlighted with two like brown uh, arrow types at the top and then they lead you down to the bottom underneath and so you have the uh, regeneration event uh, being born again that is underneath uh, that's where we described it out and that's what gets you from the unregenerate man to the regenerate man you must be regenerated and then the death or uh, the resurrection and the rapture is described over here on the bottom on the side. So that kind of just orients you a little bit towards the chart and how to read it. So keep that out in front of you. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. So let's talk first about that left panel, the unregenerate man, and we're going to do that uh, in Romans 8. We're going to use that text to help us descri uh, describe that a little bit. Uh, let me read verses 1 down through about 13. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, um, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So right there, he just set up two categories. There's the according to the flesh category, and there's the according to the spirit category. Now he's going to describe those, and here's where we're going to spend our time. For those who are according to the flesh, well, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh can not please God. However, who's Paul writing to? 
Christians in a church. However, you are not in the flesh, Christians, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He goes on to talk about being led by the Spirit of God and being a son of God. So, verses 5 through 8 contrast two conditions of man. The unregenerate man and the regenerate man. Look at verse 5. Here's what I was before Christ. I was somebody who was according to the flesh. He's, he's talking about those who are according to the flesh. Now, flesh in this context does not mean the, the stuff that covers your muscle and your bones. Because we are all in that flesh still. But he is talking about something else um, beyond that. Flesh, in this case, is that which is sinfully weak before God. This is really important to understand. Flesh in every context can be different. For instance, the word became flesh. And what does that context mean? This stuff. But here, we don't mean that. Paul doesn't mean that. He means that which is sinfully weak and that which falters before God. And your flesh, which is sinfully weak before God and falters before God, loves to be that way. It wants to keep faltering before God. It is your sinful weakness that falters before God and it loves to be that. And before Christ was in your life, you were according to that. That means, that means that you lived according to that standard. What was the standard for your life? Fleshliness. I, I want to falter before God. I, I want to fail before him. I, and I love to be that way. And that's my standard. That's what I've calibrated my life towards. That's what it means to be according to flesh. That is an according to flesh category. That's this guy over here. It's an according to flesh category. Okay, And if you look at verse 5, it says that those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What is your mind in Scripture? Your mind is who you are inwardly as a thinker before God, as a ponderer before God. It's not an organ. It's not your brain merely. It's who you are inwardly as a thinker, as one who contemplates God and life and everything. It's who you are as a meditator, as a, as a thinker. So I took my inward thinking self and I set it according to the standard of that sinfully weak and faltering flesh. That's what he says. Verse 5, those who are according to the flesh set their thinking selves on the things of the flesh. That's what it means to be without Christ. And notice that the inward thinking self, the mind, is not in contradiction at all to what the flesh wants. The, the mind and the flesh are in union 
They're in participation together. They are in partnership together. They are in agreement. There's no conflict between what the mind thinks and what the flesh demands. That right here is why the inner self of this guy up at the top is not all that different in color at all from the outer self. Through and through, there is no disagreement. Look at verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. That condition where your mind, your inward thinking self, sets its standard upon the flesh and what the flesh wants in its sinful weakness, that condition is death. It's death before God. What does Ephesians 2, 1 say? You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. That's what it means to be dead before God. Verse 7, look at the first part of verse 7. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. If the mind sets its standard on the flesh and meditates upon that, that is only going to be not just dead before God, but hostile to God. This is why men killed Jesus when he came. Because their minds were set on the flesh. Their minds were set on the things according to the flesh. And the mind is hostile and the flesh is hostile toward God. And, verse 7, it does not subject itself to the law of God. In that condition, as a hostile rebel before God who's sinfully weak, not even able to subject myself to God's law. In that condition, when I was that way, I had no equipping in that condition by which law could be set in front of me. And I could say, oh, I'll do that. Now, I may have said it, but I had no ability to do it. It says here in verse 7, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It does not want to. It's hostile to God. There's no built-in equipping to do God's bidding through his law in that condition. Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That person, that condition is called an in-the-flesh condition. And as such, that one just can't please God. So, get this. Take that person. Take this person here and put them in, in church. They can't please God. Take this person and set good rules in front of them. In that condition, they're not going to do it. They're not even able to. Changing the environment for that person is not going to change anything for that person. New rules won't help. New friends won't help. Attending church will not help. All of those things are worthless for that in-the-flesh person because none of those things address the condition and are powerless to change that person in that condition. There's only one thing that has power. Only one. That is the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So let me uh, summarize for you here. Look at the chart. This is an unmixed condition over here, guys. Um, to the, the flesh and the mind are in agreement with one another. They're in partnership. There's no conflict going on there at all. They are, there's, there's no conflict in death. There's no conflict in hostility towards God. They don't disagree with one another about whether or not they should rebel against God. They don't disagree with one another about whether they should obey God's law or not. They are unmixed in all of those things. 
There's no disagreement between the flesh. There's no disagreement between the mind and the flesh and the will and the heart and the deeds and the, the equipping that is in that person. They are all, all of those components are, are in agreement together to rebel against God. The New Testament calls this man right here the old man. This is Paul's description of this character here. He's the old man. And that is what I was without Christ. That is what you were without Christ. Now, can people in this condition put on a religious robe and look religious every single day? Judas, follower of Jesus. Pharisees. You and me, maybe, at one point. Trying to look religious, living a certain way. Um, but that doesn't mean, can this person on, the, on that side, can they call themselves a Christian? I do all the time. I did. I thought I was a Christian for 18 years of my life. And the reason I thought I was a Christian is because I was born in America. And I wasn't Muslim and I wasn't Jewish. Uh, and I went to church on Christmas and Easter. I, I'm a Christian. I was the old man and there was nothing in me that was Christian. Okay, so now look at the description underneath. I'll let you look through a lot of this on your own, but here are some descriptions from passages. Ephesians 2, uh, 1 to 3 and verse 12. You're dead in your sins. You walk in sin. You, you live in the lust of your flesh and of your mind. You're called a child of wrath. There's no hope without God. In Colossians 1, you're in the domain of darkness in this condition. Titus 3, uh, we once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We were spending our life in malice and envy. We were hateful and hating one another. Colossians 1, we were alienated from God, hostile toward God, engaged in evil deeds. Romans 6 says that we were slaves to sin, slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which resulted only in further lawlessness in that condition, and the penalty for us was death. In Ephesians 4, it talks about how our mind is fu was futile in that condition. Uh, we had a darkened understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance uh, within. And all that was because of hardness of heart. We were giving ourselves over to sensuality all the time. Uh, we were practicing every kind of impurity with greediness. Philippians 3, uh, we were enemies of the cross whose end was destruction, whose God was the, our appetites, our bellies, our lusts. Those were our gods back then. We gloried in our shame. We set our mind on earthly things. So think about some of these different words. Mind, understanding, heart, flesh, appetite. All of that was unmixed. All of it wanted the same thing. All of it was in complete agreement. There was no, there wasn't a mind inside saying, hey, flesh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything was saying, I want more of everything that is not God. That's who we were. Helpless, ungodly, sinner, needing rescue from God's wrath, needing justification, an enemy of God, needs reconciliation, needs salvation. That's Romans 5 there. Look at the key descriptions that we have. In each one, there's a key description that's given. That's where you kind of want to focus in on as a summary of this. This is an unmixed condition, unmixed in sin. That means when you look inside, outside, from the top, from the bottom, from the back, to the front, you're only going to find one thing, sin, everywhere. We are unable not to sin. If the, if the standard to put in front of you is say, don't sin, 
this person is unable not to sin. Um, unable to please God. That's what Romans 8 said. This one has no fight within. This is an important one. There's no fight within. There's no inward components of that person fighting uh, to, to fight against sin or to fight for Jesus. There's no desire to, for that. This person is dominated by and enslaved by sin. Sin rules all of the faculties. Understand this. In this condition, every thought is under the dominion of sin. Every emotion is under the dominion of sin. Every motive is under the dominion of sin. Every action is under the dominion of sin. This person does not have, well, their thinking is okay, but it's just their emotions that are bad. No, it's all bad. Okay, so sin rules all of the faculties. And this person right here has no use for discipline one and build to shepherd his own heart to the word of God um, in order to draw near to the God of the word because this one is hostile towards God and doesn't even want to do that. This one's not in a condition by which he can even do that. It makes no sense for him here. He's under God's wrath and judgment. That's the unregenerate man. Everything is in agreement inside. There's no friction. There's no disagreement. <coughs> what do you... What's the only hope for a guy like this? You're going to give him some rules? Give him some new principles to try to govern their life by? I mean, they have no ability within them to do any of it. You're going to tell them to look within? Look within. There's a spark of something good there. That's not what the Bible teaches. Something has to happen to this guy from the outside. It has to happen to him. That takes us to number two, the regeneration event. Now, again, if you notice, where are we going to be looking at? You see that regeneration up here at the top stands between the unregenerate man and the regenerate man, but then you've got to follow it down underneath. So now we're going to be looking at the brown section down at the bottom of the chart. This is the regeneration event. And event. It's an event. Being born again is an event. It's not a process that takes place over time. Well, I'm, for the last five years, I've been becoming born again. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. You are born again. Like some of you, are, your wives are giving birth. Um, some sooner than later, perhaps. Maybe even today would be good, Josh, right? Um, it's an event. It happens. Um, that's God's answer to this solution. God doesn't look at this and say, you know what? I, I got some touch-up work I can do on this. I, I, I can do some touch-up work. I see something salvageable here. God sees nothing salvageable here. He just starts over and causes this one to be born again. It's an event born from above. Uh, there's some, if you look down below at the bottom there, this is accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is down below there. Uh, we got some theological summaries of the good news of the Jesus Christ. One way to talk about what the gospel is, is adoption through propitiation. You may not know what propitiation means. That means wrath satisfied. 
God's wrath satisfies. So he satisfies his wrath toward you and you are adopted. It's adoption through that satisfaction of wrath. Another way to talk about it is what we talked about two weeks ago, penal substitutionary atonement. There is a penalty that must be paid. It cannot be paid by you. It has to be paid by a substitute who is innocent, who is Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. And all of that atones for your sin. Forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, propitiation. And then we have a great statement here. We get God through Jesus' death in our place. This is the gospel. It is appropriated to us through repentance and faith. This is the regeneration event. Now, in your notes, what I did is I took the regeneration event components and the regeneration event benefits. I took this little section here and this section here and put it into your notes. And and I want us just to run through this. Look at these event components. These are once and for all time events accomplished by God for the believer at conversion. Okay, so where am I at in your notes? Regeneration event components. Look at this. This is where we're going to go a little faster, okay? Um, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Listen, God does not say to this man right here and say, I'm going to give you some rules. I'll give you 10 of them. Do your best and let's see how it works. He saved us not on the basis of any deeds which this person might try to do in righteousness, whatever that means. But he saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He just has to start over. He just has to cause you to be born again. Right? John 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus about that. You have to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about the result of being born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creature. It's just brand new. God doesn't look at anything and renovate it in you. There's nothing to renovate here. It has to be brand new. He has to make something new. Here's a little sneak peek. He didn't make you that yet. He didn't make you that yet. What he made new is not this yet. You're not there yet. Okay? But he had to make this brand new. Start over. In fact, nothing from that survives. Uh, positional sanctification. You are set apart unto God once and for all. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 says this. Listen. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Once and for all, you were washed. You were sanctified. Once and for all, you were set apart for God. But you were justified. Once and for all, you were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So these are regeneration event components. You must be born again. You must be once and for all set apart into holiness for God. Uh, uh, Justification. Look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. What should you do with each of these guys? You should take each of these and you should read through them on your own and spend lots of time on each one of them. Let me read to you Galatians 2.16 in regards to justification. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, 
but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Listen, God does not say, okay, I understand you're dead. Here's what I'm going to do to put a declared righteous status over you. I'm going to give you some rules and I want you to do your best. And when I see that, I will declare you righteous. Justification is not based on the law. It's not based on doing anything. But justification, being declared righteous, is on the basis of one thing only. It's believing. It's saying, I know what I am. I know what I can't be. I trust in you, Jesus, and you alone what you did. And we are declared righteous. There's imputation. That's the believers uh, being credited with God's righteousness and Jesus being created, uh, created, credited with the believer's sin. Right? This is the, this is the amazing trade-off of 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin, a man who knew no sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf. It's my sin that went to him so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one who was righteous, who was only ever righteous, who was unmixed in righteousness, took my unmixed sin upon himself at the cross and he gave to me his righteousness. Imputation. Being credited. He was credited with our sin and we were credited with God's righteousness. Adoption. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Once and for all, we were adopted. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. We've been adopted. There's union with Christ. What does Galatians 2.20 say? I have been crucified with Christ. What does Paul mean when he says that? He says, this me was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But now, Christ lives in me. I am in Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that I live in this this flesh... I I don't live except by faith alone in him. So there's union with Christ. Expiation. Sin being removed out of the side side of God. Colossians 2. uh, the, The decree of hostile deeds against God nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. Sin taken out of... The obstructing a relation, obstructed relationship with God, propitiation, wrath being satisfied. First John four ten in those verses there. There's redemption through Jesus' blood. Go back to Titus chapter two, verse fourteen. <clears throat> Jesus is the one who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Listen, if he did not redeem us from every lawless deed, we're in big trouble. He didn't redeem us from most of them, all of them. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Reconciliation. You can look at Romans 5 there. Forgiveness. So we have redemption or forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7. 
We talked about the old man being crucified. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans 6. Knowing this, Paul says, that our old self was crucified with him. What does Paul mean when he says that? He means this unmixed in sin condition was somehow, some way crucified with Jesus at the cross. I don't know how God did that, but I'm really glad he did. That's my only hope. This has to die. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Why? In what sense? In order that our body of sin might be done away with. In this sense, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. What were you over here? You were a slave to sin. And he crucified this with his son so that in this new condition in the middle, you would no longer be a slave to sin. That doesn't mean you aren't influenced by sin. We'll talk about that. You are. I am. But we are no longer slaves to sin in this condition here. So listen, those regeneration event components, all of that is God's answer to our unmixed in sin condition. Everything that we were before Christ, there's only one thing that God would want to do to fix that, and that is cause you to be born again, set you apart in holiness, justify you, impute your sin to Jesus and his righteousness to you, adopt you, unite you with Christ, expiate your sin, propitiate your sin, redeem you from your sin, reconcile you, make you at peace with God, forgive you, and crucify that old man to himself. That's God's solution to what you were without Christ. Listen, this is not a God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He, you know what he does with this? He crucified it with a son. Yeah, there's a wonderful plan for your life here, right? But it's not with this. This has to come to a radical end through death and through new birth. And what are the benefits that come? You see that in your notes that the regeneration event benefits. How about this stuff, guys? You're loved by God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by Christ. Can you imagine that? Jesus is in you and the Holy Spirit is in you? Wait a minute. You were unmixed in sin over here. You tell me what's in you now. Two members of the Godhead? That's how bad it was. That's what God needed to do to save you. To save me. We are a member of Christ's body. We are members of one another. More benefits. Confident access to God. Not because we shaped up our life and he looked at us and said, Man, that's impressive. I'll listen to a thing or two you've got to say to me. No, but he does it solely on the basis of his grace alone. We are under grace. We are saved from God's wrath. We are free from condemnation. It is impossible to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. The fruit of the Spirit is within us. We have citizenship in heaven. Those are the regeneration benefits. Guys, take some time on your own and read through those things. Shepherd your heart with those truths all of the time. Now let's talk about number three, in Christ, the regenerate man, the middle. Now we get a look and now we're into some of the, what's going to help you understand where you are today, Lord willing, if you are in Christ. 
This is the regenerate man. This is a mixed condition. Okay, let's go back to Romans 8. Romans 8, and we're going to let that passage help us understand a little bit more about the regenerate man. The result of regeneration is obviously a regenerate man. To find out what that regenerate man looks like, look at Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. You remember? But, contrast, those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What is this condition over here? It is an according to flesh condition. What is this condition you are in in Christ? It is an according to spirit condition. This means that you have now been calibrated towards the spirit. What the spirit of holiness is in you, you are calibrated towards it. That's your standard now. This is not your standard anymore. Flesh and weakness and failing and faltering before God is not your standard anymore. Look at verse 6. The mindset on the flesh is death. But, what is this condition? The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What is this condition? Life and peace. Guys, we were dead over here. What are we now? There's life. Primarily life with God and peace. Primarily peace with God. What a contrast to that old man. Look at verse 9. You are not in the flesh. Now listen to what Paul is saying there. He is saying to Christians, you are not in this, in the flesh condition anymore. He's not saying you don't have skin. And he's not saying you don't have influence from the flesh, but if he called this an in-the-flesh category, and if God saved you from it, if God crucified that in-the-flesh category, you are not in that in-the-flesh category anymore. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Listen, there is nobody who's over here who belongs to Jesus. The only one who belongs to Jesus is the one who has his spirit. It's the only way to get there. Now, being in the spirit does not mean that you are not influenced by the flesh, but you are no longer in the flesh like you used to be. And if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, boy, do you have a conflict within you that you never had before. Remember how it was unmixed and there was no conflict before? Now there's a conflict because you have the Spirit within you. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead... Wait a minute. Christ in me, but my body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive. I mean, do you see Paul going from one end to the other? You're in Christ, but the body's dead. Your Spirit's alive. I mean, what a mixed condition this is. You've got Christ in you. Your body's dead in sin. Your spirit's alive. One verse gives you three radical from what, from the mountain peak tops to the very depths of the belly of the ugliness of sin all the way back up to being alive. That's this condition we are in in Christ. It's very mixed. Okay, listen. You may want to be this guy today. 
where you are un every thought is pure. There's no motive that's mixed. You only have pure motives all of the time. You may want to be this guy all you with every ounce of desire, but guess what? You're just not. And there's only one way to get to this guy over here. You're going to have to die or be raptured. In the meantime, you got a conflict going on within you now. Right? And that is the new creation. Listen, if I was God, this is what I would have done. Okay? Scary statement when anybody says that. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm totally joking. I would have said, if this is what you are, and I'm going to save you, I'm just going to skip this whole thing here. Let's just go from this to this. And then there's no, it's just no struggle at all. But what pleased God, man? Let me tell you what the new creation is not. The new creation is not this guy. It will usher eventually into that, but the new creation that God saved you into is not this guy. The new creation, God in his ultimate wisdom said, you know what's going to please me and glorify me? I'm going to save this man from being in an unmixed condition to where he has to fight. That is the new man. I would have thought the new man should be this guy where there's no fight. I don't have to fight against sin. I don't have to fight for Jesus. I just do it. But it pleased him to make you new in a condition that's mixed. So what? You're in that condition. Look at verse 12 of Romans 8. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. Guys, the fact that God saved you from here to here puts you under obligation. You're under obligation to what? He tells us. We're under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. What does he mean in context? You can't live like you're this guy anymore. You can't calibrate yourself that way anymore. Verse 13, for if you are living according to this, what is the only option for this guy over here? He must die, Paul says in verse 13. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, what? That's a living condition. So get this. Here's your obligation, guys. You are fighting like you've never fought before. You didn't fight against sin over here. It whooped you every time, and you said, yes, do it again. Here, though, you get a chance by the Spirit of God to fight against sin. That is what God saved you into. He could have saved you right from here all the way over where there's no fight against sin, but that's not what he did. He wants to glorify himself in your life through you fighting by his spirit against your sin. Okay? No conflict over here, guys. No conflict over here with sin. Tons of conflict with God, but no conflict with sin over here. Guess what you have here? Tons and tons of conflict with sin. A fight. You're in the fight of your life. You're under obligation to put to death the deeds of the body. Listen, he doesn't say make peace with the, negotiate a treaty. Um, five days out of the week, do pretty good. Two days, I'll, I'll look the other way. Put to death the deeds of the body. Kill your sin that remains, that indwells. 
And that is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to be a Christian. A person who says, I'm a Christian, believe in Jesus, half since I was that big, and they don't fight against their sin, do not understand what the Bible says. Yet, they need to. There is a fight against sin. Our foundation in Christ enables you to fight. Look, he saved you so that you could take up his spirit and fight against your sin. He is giving you, what has he given you to put to death your sin? He gave you himself by his spirit. How well do you think that goes if you do it right? How effective is that sword? It's pretty effective. All right, so let's walk through the rest of the conditions here in the middle part. I'll let you look at most of it on your own. Uh, Unmixed condition of a regenerate man is characterized by all of those unchanging realities and benefits of regeneration continue. So you're still um, the, the loved by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by Christ, man that we talked about below. Um, you have a new identity in Christ. You are freed from slavery uh, to sin. And you have now become a slave to God. This condition is a slave to God condition. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is in your life. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 2. Watch this, guys. Ephesians 2.10, a very familiar verse. I know that you know this one. What, is he, what does Paul say? We, Christians, are his workmanship. We, he worked, and this is what we became. We're his craft that he worked on. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. What for? For good works. To do good things now. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He worked on us so that we would have a new life to live out good works. Um, We have the ability to obey. Uh, Scott walked us through Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Work, work here all that you can as a dead man to, to make yourself alive. Keep working. Is that what he means? No. God does this part. He just kills it in Christ. But now working out your salvation. Do you know what? The, in fact, look back at Philippians 2. I saw something this morning that I don't know if I've ever paid attention to in Philippians 2 when Scott was going through that. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always, what? Obeyed. So he's writing to Christians, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, now really obey. That's what you might have thought he would say. Because he's talking about he wants them to obey. Look at it again. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now that I'm not with you, obey all the more. That's his idea. But how did he refer to obedience? What does he call it? Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You want to know what it means? We all get distracted by that and say, look, he's not saying you've got to work to get saved. And that's true. That's right theology to say that. But what he's talking about contextually is, I want you to be obedient people. Do you know what we could call that? We could call that working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's God who's at work in you. God is at work in you by his son and by his spirit so that you will obey all the more. 
Listen, do you have what is needed to obey God? Do you have what is needed to obey God? Do you use it every time? No. But if you ever fail and I ever falter in my sin, we can never look back and say, I went to the storehouse, treasury, God, to see what you had provided for me, and it was empty, and so I couldn't obey you. We can never go back to God and say, I didn't obey because you put me in a bad spot. We have everything we need. My goodness, he has given us his spirit. He's given us his son. He's given us his word. He's given us each other. And we still choose to sin sometimes. Isn't that sad? We all do it. Um, What does this mixed condition require? Relentless transformation of the believer. The believer's diligent pursuit of holiness. Uh, you're being watchful about indwelling sin. Oh my goodness, guys, if you know that you are in a mixed condition, that there's sin lurking in you, now that you are in Christ, that doesn't make you go, ha, I never have to worry again. In one sense, you don't, because Jesus has declared you righteous on the basis of faith alone. But in another sense, that which would kill you if it could, is still in your heart, still in your mind still in every one of your deeds. It's in every one of your motives. It's in every one of your thoughts. And now you need to watch. And by the Spirit, you can put it to death. You can. You won't every time, but you can. Look at the description, key description for this new condition. Uh, It's a mixed condition. Now get this. You are able now, what? Not to sin. Before, the not to sin thing, you were unable. You just... That's all you could do is just sin. But now in Christ, you actually are able not to sin. Sin can be in front of you and you can actually, because his spirit is in you, because Christ is in you, because he crucified this old nasty man and because he's given you his word and because he's given you so many abundant resources, you can actually now to that sin say, no, it's amazing what God has done. And there's a fight within, a fight against sin and a fight for Jesus. It's an enslaved to God condition, enslaved to righteousness, enslaved to obedience. That's Romans 6. There's residual sin, indwelling sin still, and regeneration. They're simultaneously evident in all of your faculties. Listen, guys, here's one of the places where I have actually, we as elders have actually come up against um, wrong thinking in people in the church because in their mind, when God saved them, they went from here to hear no more impure motives at all ever and so if an elder calls into question a motive for doing something or the thinking in it guess what well you're just you're just judging me but listen you're not there yet you do not here's what a mixed condition does not mean on mondays wednesdays and fridays all of your thinking is pure and holy completely through and through but on Tuesdays Thursdays and Saturdays it's not and so your week is a mixed week of thinking it's not that way do you understand every thought has regeneration realities in it and every thought is influenced by indwelling sin every motive has regeneration benefits and indwelling sin every single one guys listen this may press you up against a wall to think about something you haven't thought about I have I'll say it, I'll play it to me 
since Christ saved me, I have never had one totally pure motive in anything I've ever done. Because I am saved into a mixed condition in which every motive is tainted. Every thought is tainted. Every action I've ever done is tainted. Now, every motive, thought, and action, and emotion also has the possibility of being influenced by righteousness in Christ. But on Mondays, I don't make pure motive decisions. And on Tuesdays, maybe, maybe not. And neither do you. And so this is where you need to be wary of yourself. You need to be watchful of yourself. And this is where you need to believe the best about others, that maybe there was a good motive there. Maybe not. We'll have to walk through that together in sanctification together. Okay? Uh, And in this condition, guys, you are able to shepherd your heart to the Word of God, to meet with the God of the Word, because, man, do you have these new desires in your heart where you're just like, I need Jesus. I want Him. I need His Word. You never wanted that over here. You had no use for it over here, but now in Christ, you need to shepherd your heart. Okay? Now let's go to the last panel and talk about the heavenly man. Okay? The heavenly man. Let's talk about how good it gets. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you feel like your head's going to explode, just let it. It's okay. Um, Your guy sitting next to you won't mind. Because his already exploded too. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. I love this. Who's Paul writing to? The Corinthians. What kind of Corinthians? Believers. He says, now I say this, brethren. So he's talking about believers. Flesh and blood. Now here's a great example of how flesh needs to, in every single context, be determined what it means. It's, In other words... It's not um, what they call a technical term, in that it has one meaning and it has only ever one meaning. But in this context, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He means this stuff and this body. Flesh and blood is a way to refer to this body. This body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what you are right here is not in a condition in which it is ready for what God is going to do with his kingdom. Now, are you, have you been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son already by faith? Yes. You have a spiritual uh, participation in that now, some way, somehow, but his kingdom <clears throat> is not here in all of its fullness. And what you are right now could not handle it. Flesh and blood, look, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, so what are we over here, guys? Perishable. What are we over here? Can't perish. Can't rot. Can't get worse. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What does Paul mean? Sleep is death. He says that some of us right here, we won't we won't experience this, death. We, not all of us will, will sleep. See what he says? 
we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. You, you can't get from here to over here without being changed, but some of us won't experience the death. What, what do you mean, Paul? Well, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Those of us who won't die, we will be changed immediately. How do you get changed immediately? Rapture. This is First Thessalonians 4, Jesus coming back, rapturing uh, the believers after he raises those who have fallen asleep in Christ. We will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and when this mortal will have put on immortality, then comes the saying that is written. I love this, guys. Watch. When does this saying come about? It comes about once you've already crossed the line. Death can't touch you anymore. You've been raptured. You skipped death, or maybe you died and were raised up. Once you're across that line, then comes this saying. You know what people are saying over here? Do you know what they're saying to one another? This is what they're saying, verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. There's no trace left of of death anywhere. There's no close calls with death over here. Death is swallowed up. You know what they're saying over here? Verse 55. Oh, death, where's your victory? Can't find it anywhere. You won all of the time over here. I never knew anybody in life who didn't die or wasn't going to die. But over here... Can't find one victory of yours. Oh, death, where is your sting? You know what death does before it kills you? It stings you. How does it sting you? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. Guys, you've already been stung. You've already been stung. Death is coming. If you, if you get stung by something poisonous and you're not anywhere near help, um, and it's fatal. It's it's done. It's just waiting, right? We're we're just waiting. We're just waiting. Unless, of course, we're one of those who get to be here when Jesus comes, and then we skip that part. That's going to be amazing. I that's what I want. I want to just go right from here to there. Miss the whole grave thing. Um, the sting of death is sin, and the where does sin get its power to sting like that the law you guys you know what happens when you put law in front of this guy sin goes now I have power sting and just wait that one's dead but over here you know why because I'm pointing the wrong way I'm so sorry (laughs) I just committed heresy I'm going to repent right now Um, yeah thank you Um, over here you put law in front of this guy and sin just stings him and he's dead. Just waiting for it to happen. But why? Because law can't be fulfilled over here. He is not even able to do so. Right? But over here on this side, when law is in front of you, it's all you do. And so sin has no sting anymore. It can't touch you. You're on the other side of it. Do you guys understand that? You may wish that's where you are today, but you're not. God in his goodness has led you to be someplace else. It's where we all are. Okay? So death's sting is gone. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how would we summarize this condition? While we are with Christ, 
we will see him as he is. Here's the heavenly man described. He is at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 8. In fact, I want you to go there real quick. Look at that one. 2 Corinthians, you just got to go one book to the right. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the, uh, the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. Now, Paul's not talking about the tent that he made um, the other day and that he's living in, uh, in Ephesus or wherever. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this tent, right? It's an earthly tent, his body. If this one is torn down, meaning die, what? Don't worry. You have a building from God. It's a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan. Why do we, guys, why do we groan? Guess what? You are never groaning over here against your sin. You were just lapping it up. But now in Christ, you groan. When you're in this house, you groan. Why? Because you long for what? To be clothed like this. You don't want to stay even here as good as this is. You don't want to stay in this condition. You want that condition to come, the heavenly man. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed so that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. Drop down at verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and we prefer rather to be absent from this body and to be at home with the Lord. Guys, can you say that? That you would rather be away from this body and with Jesus? That means you're going to die. It doesn't make us all become kamikazes out there, does it? No. We're like Paul in Philippians 1. Should I, should, I, should I go and be with Jesus or should I stay? I'll stay. It means profit for you, he says. It's an unmixed condition over there. There's no perishableness. There's no corruptible qualities. There's no trace of death. Uh, it's not life and death put together like life and death are put together here. Everything is gone. Um, let's look at some of those key descriptions. An unmixed condition. You are unable to sin. Guys, in heaven or with a new body at the resurrection, in the fullness of the kingdom of, of Christ, sin won't even be a possibility for you. Can you imagine? Unable to sin. No fight within. There's no struggle anymore at all with sin perfectly enslaved to God. You are a slave to God in this condition, but it doesn't go so well sometimes because sometimes you see those chains that you used to be chained up against the wall on and they were broken off and sometimes you go back to them and you try to make them stay on but they just keep falling off. And sometimes you do that because you're just dumb like me. And we just want to go back to sin sometimes. But in heaven it will never, ever happen. You are perfect in your slavery to God. Perfect righteousness in all of your faculties. When will you have pure motives, guys? When will every single one of your motives be pure? Not just on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but Sunday to Saturday. Heaven. That's when pure motives come. Be careful justifying yourself before people who call into question what you did. Say, well, no, I had pure motives. Maybe had some. Not whole. Do you know why I know? Because you're not dead yet. That's how I know. Just don't forget. Um, in heaven, will you need to shepherd your heart? No. Be 
because you'll be with Jesus. You'll see him as he is. You won't have to fight against sin anymore, and you won't have to fight for Jesus. You won't have to. So, how do you get there? We've talked about it and said it over and over. Guys, you've got to die. That's number four. Um, and I want to walk through the bottom part here under death. Departing and uh, the land of the dying and going home. And it says there, disintegration of the inner from the outer man. Uh, disintegration we usually think of as just like obliteration. But think of two, think of the main word, integrate. And then you have to disintegrate the inner from the outer man. We just saw it in 2 Corinthians 5. We have a, we have a, a tent, and if it gets torn down, we've got a building that God made. And so at some point, those two things, the building of God is inside the tent, the earthly tent. And at some point, God's going to disintegrate them. He's going to pull them apart, separate them. Okay? Uh, it's a safe journey home. Paul's about to die, and he says, I know that I will make it. And he doesn't mean I'm, I'll, I'll survive the imprisonment. He says, I, I will be rescued and made all the way there because God will get me there. Unseparated from Jesus, Romans 8, we know that. The believer is still alive at that point. It can be called sleep. The death of his believers is precious to God. And it's called gain for the believer, according to Paul. Now, some bypass that, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we will not all sleep. And he details that further in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Some of us bypass death. We skip that part at the top. That's called the rapture. To just be with Jesus, we'll meet him in the air, and thus we will always be with him. And that rapture condition is called... Um, when you go from this body directly to the resurrection body, they call that translation. Just a theological word to call it translation. You just get translated from this to that. Um, resurrection is obviously you're dead, and Christ raises you up. And that is integration. Do you see that over here, guys, in the bottom? So you've got disintegration at death, and then you've got integration at resurrection. What is God integrating? He's integrating that building that he built with his hands, but he's giving you a new body. And he ain't going to put you back in the old one. It's not that one. Jesus is the first man who got the new body. Listen, Lazarus was raised up from the dead. The little girl was raised up from the dead. Happened many times. Um, but they were all brought back into this body. Jesus was raised into a new body. God kept some marks on that new body that helped them remember, right, that he died. But that's a new body. That, that body could eat. That body could disappear. That body could go through a wall. That body could do anything. That body could be on earth and go right up into the presence of God. That's something this body is not ready for. Can't do. But he got that one first. He is the firstborn in that sense of resurrection. Um, and we get to follow him in it. There's only one way you get there. Through death or rapture, resurrection. Can I make a couple observations as we finish up? Start turning the hose off here in a moment. Guys, I want you to be, I want you to be encouraged. Where do you find your encouragement? When you think, if you're in Christ today,
today. If you're in Christ Jesus, here's your encouragement. Turn around and look back. If you can remember, some of, even in our group today, we were talking about how and when God saved you. Many of the guys were saved when they were young, probably. Um, but if you can remember back before, here's your encouragement. You are in a condition now that is so different from what you were before. It's not a little bit different. It is entirely different. It's called a new creation. It's called a new man. This is the old man. This is the new man. And you know what God says? Because he crucified this with all that it was in an in-the-flesh condition, you can never, ever go back to that condition. Can you still sin? Yes. Different question. But you can never go back and become what you were without Christ. Christ somehow would have to be in you and then taken out of you. The Spirit of God would, who is in you would now somehow taken out of you. You cannot go back and be unborn. You can't. And that is good news. You are in a condition that is far better than what you were before. A slave to sin could only say yes to sin never fought against sin, never fought for Jesus. You were in a much, much better condition. Be encouraged what God did to save you. You can't go back. You can be stupid. You can sin a lot. And then here's your longing. Every day. As good as this is, and as good as this is so much better than what this was over here, right? This is nothing compared to what you will be. And so now you, while you're in this tent, you grow. Oh, to just be done with this sin, to be done with this fight, to be with Jesus, to see him who delivered me like he did. Guys, there's where you are. And which condition is the only condition that must shepherd its heart? Guess what? If you do nothing with your heart, your mind, your thinking, your attitudes, if you do nothing with them here, what happens? Do you get better? Do you get worse? You know why? Because God saved you and put you into an arena. And he said, fight. And if you get into the arena and you think, I'm not going to do anything, someone's going to come and smack you silly. It's called sin. You are going to get beat up. Guys, if you don't shepherd your heart to the word of God to draw near to God in his word, what's happening? You're being smacked silly every day. If you don't pray, you're getting beat up. If you put a man... A hundred feet from a waterfall, and the, the, the river is rushing towards the waterfall, and he's a hundred feet from it, and you throw him in the water and you say, Swim. And he swims for his life. And you're standing there on the side watching him, and sometimes you can inch forward a little bit and go, He's, he's not, I don't think he's going to go that oh, oh, What is he doing? Don't stop! What are you doing? Swim! And he starts to swim again. And he's going, and he's. He's going a little bit, and then he, he's trying his hardest, and you stand in one spot for 10 minutes, and he's gone nowhere. 
What happens if he stops swimming? He goes the wrong direction. But when he fights, what happens? He makes some kind of progress. Maybe. Sometimes. That's the Christian life, guys. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is what we do together. We fight against sin and we fight for Jesus. And why do you groan? Isn't it obvious? Don't, you don't want to be that way for eternity, do you? I don't. I want to be with Jesus. I want to stop swimming so I can just be with him. Skateboarding uphill. What happens when you stop? Pushing. Guys, if you do nothing with yourself, if you truly are in Christ and you do nothing with yourself, you are not going to get better. You are not going to get better. You may be saved. You may, look, you cannot go back to what you were. But if you keep not doing anything with your life, it's not a good sign for you. It may be evidence that you put a robe on this thing over here. Hoping that that would do it. No, you've got to be changed. And even as a changed man, one born again, if, if you don't shepherd your heart, guys, it's not going to get better. You're only going to get worse. So, why do I need to shepherd my heart? Because uh, God saved you in a condition where you got to get after it. And so do I. And so what we need to do together as men is we need to do this together. And you know what your wife, do you know what your, your future wife someday needs? Do you know what your kids need more than ever? What do they need? They need a dad and a husband who's fighting. If you don't fight for this, if you don't fight to pursue Jesus, you're not the only victim. And neither am I. We've got to do this together. We've got to band together as men of God and say, you, know, you, want to know what it mean, you want to know what it means to be a man? Do you want biblical manhood, guys? Do you want biblical manhood? It's not going on a camping trip together with our ATVs, standing on the edge of the rim and letting out some guttural cry. It's not. You know what it is? It is together, us standing and saying, let's put to death the deeds of the body. That's a man. That's a biblical man. We need to be those men. We need to be that together. All right. Let's turn the fire hose off. And now we get to keep working on this the rest of the year together. Okay? Um, Scott, you got anything that's on your mind as we finish up? Any? We've got just a couple minutes. Are there any questions? Any comment? Anything you want as clarification? I didn't cover through everything. I, I kind of ran through it what I had because there's never enough time for this. Anything, guys? Isaac. I know this isn't really based off of the regenerate man, but the unregenerate man, yes. what happens to him when he dies? What does his body look like? Yeah. That, this is where you, um, like in John 5, uh, Jesus says that there will be both a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. So the unbeliever dies, the body goes into the ground, and his inner man continues just like our inner man continues. Um, except that one begins to experience the wrath of God. A day is coming when Jesus will raise up the dead and the wicked will be raised up. And that one then will receive a resurrected body. 
and that resurrected body will be able to somehow endure for eternity. Wrath. And we need to share the gospel with as many people as we can. Okay. Good question. Anything else, guys? Thank no. you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these men. I thank you for most of all your truth. And I pray, God, that all of these um, truths and passages would flood our minds. And Lord, if there is any man here who's troubled um, with where he is and how things have gone, Lord, would you give him clarity from your word about where to go? And Lord, would you give us eyes to look upon each other with compassion and mercy and help one another? And Father, I pray, Lord, if you have uh, brought victory in life against sin, Lord, we rejoice uh, because we know that it did not come from us. It has come from you as you are at work within us. Oh, Father, give us courage today to live as men who will fight against our sin and will fight for you, to know you better, to draw near to you. And Father, we will know you better and draw near to you better if we have your Bible open in front of us. Help us, Lord, to that end. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming today. See you in a couple weeks.